Don't you just love those movies about all of humanity joining together as one, taking care of one another and of all living things with the realization that we are all connected? No? You haven't seen those movies? Yeah, neither have I. As I tried to think of any movies that even attempted to imagine humanity joining together across all differences, I did manage to come up with a few. But they all hinged on the same scenario. An alien attack. You know, Independence Day, War of the Worlds, that kind of thing. It seems the only way we can even imagine not fighting one another is to have a common enemy who threatens us all. Now, if we accepted this rather dim view of human nature, it would necessarily cause us to rethink some of our hymns. We would be one. As now we join in fighting, the alien who wants us all as food. Don't get me started. Really, don't get me started. My point is that it is rather disappointing to turn to an imagination industry, like the movie industry, and find that no one has really been able to imagine the whole human family as a we. The we which I do believe we long to be. Why is this? A couple possibilities come to mind. The first can be summarized in the words of author Leo Tolstoy, who began his novel Anna Karenina with the line, All happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. In other words, unhappiness holds tons of stories, while happiness has only one, and it probably wouldn't keep you reading. And who am I to take on Tolstoy, right? But here I go anyway. Frankly, for all the times that this passage is quoted, I think it is one of the least profound reflections and raises so many questions that it is quite devoid of meaning. What is a happy family? What is an unhappy family? Can any family or any individual in the real world be precisely defined as one or the other? And a writer of your skills, Mr. Tolstoy, certainly knows that happiness arrives in many and varied ways and in unexpected places and in the midst of unlikely circumstances. And though your novel is brilliant, the story of Anna Karenina, when you get right down to it, is not so very unique. It seems that we humans are often alike in how we experience and too often inflict unhappiness upon one another. My totally unfair Tolstoy rant aside, you will notice also that my original question was about humans coming together as one family, not necessarily in all of humanity being happy, certainly not in the sense of self-satisfied contentment. 
if we truly begin to understand ourselves as one, that is when the story really begins. That is when the work starts. That is when the challenges ensue. Suddenly, rather than following the well-worn plotline of putting up walls that keep us from ever really knowing one another, we risk engaging with, with, with one another. With all that that risk implies, learning new skills, listening more deeply, working through conflict, staying in relationship, making mistakes, seeking forgiveness, working toward reparations, covenant work. But the idea that this initial understanding of ourselves as one people will somehow come from outside, whether by alien invasion or some other means, that expectation has a long history. If humanity could only encounter something together that shifted our focus, that allowed us to see things from a wider perspective, something to truly shake us up, in the same essay that you heard a piece of in the reading, it is noted that decades before the rise of space travel, British astronomer Fred Hoyle predicted that once a photograph of the Earth taken from the outside is available, a new idea as powerful as any in history will be let loose. Speaking of the photograph known universally as Earthrise, which was on a couple of the slides that you saw, taken in 1968 by NASA astronaut William Anders. The writers go on to say, humans have long understood that the Earth is not the center of the solar system, let alone the universe, but images like Earthrise make that understanding immediate and visceral, elevating it from something believed abstractly to something felt. The simultaneous complexity and fragility of our lives on Earth is no longer a mere concept, but a reality that can be understood personally. I'm guessing that resonates for many of us, not only with this early picture, but with the thousands of pictures that have come back to us from space exploration in the intervening decades. And yet, Alas, such photos have not brought the raised consciousness to our species that some had predicted and many more had hoped for. And I'm sorry, but I somehow doubt that the current ego-driven space race between multi-billionaires will do much to change that. The World Wide Web, remember that phrase? The web held some promise to do the same kind of consciousness raising. Once we could connect in real time with people across the world, how could we keep from understanding ourselves as one human family? And yet, we humans have found ways to create ever smaller, isolated, insulated groups in this virtual world that practically ensure that we will not, cannot understand one another because we have somehow used this amazing power of connection to successfully create ever smaller, isolated, 
insulated world. And if we decide that a common vision, such as a view from space or a trip into cyberspace, is a little too flimsy to unite us, and that only a common universal enemy, such as a hostile visitor from space, will provide a more robust motivation, we need only remind ourselves that all of humanity is currently threatened by two, at least, formidable enemies. A global pandemic and a climate crisis, neither of which has reduced the energy that is being directed toward creating deeper and more destructive divisions between us. In fact, in both cases, these challenges are used as one more wedge between us, one more excuse for attacking one another. It is enough to make one, in the words of singer-songwriter John Prine, to make one gaze out the window, get mad and get madder, throw your hands in the air and say, what does it matter? One would think that we humans simply do not have the capacity to draw the circle much wider than our own families, our own race, our own religious beliefs, our own political views, our own ethnic backgrounds, our own opinions, our own communities, our own way of doing things. That we can draw this circle this wide and no wider. That we are doomed to draw back in fear from those we deem other. That we are doomed to lash out in fear, that we are doomed to consume the fears that are manufactured for our consumption and to listen to those fears to the exclusion of all else. In some ways, our circles far from widening are shrinking by the day. But, while what I have just described is all too often prominent in human activities, it is not the whole story. I would hazard to say that one of the reasons we are Unitarian Universalists is because we refuse to accept that corrupting, crippling, destructive, and devastating fear as the final word on humanity. Yes, there is the we that is used to separate us from them that encourages explicitly or implicitly distrust and dehumanization of the other that results in injustice and inequity and needless pain. But there is also the we we long to be. A strong tribe in which nobody is left out. In which everybody for once and for all has a place. And I think that it is becoming clear to us, it is slowly to me, that the problem with a solution coming from outside, whether it be a trip to outer space or cyberspace or the space needle or space mountain, the problem with that is contained in the familiar phrase, wherever we go, there we are. We are always bringing ourselves which means we bring the fear, the greed, the desperate scrambling for an unattainable security, the tendency to deceive ourselves. We can turn most every opportunity for raising awareness, deepening connections, 
understanding experiences beyond our own, we can turn most every opportunity into just another fear-laden, greed-driven, profit-making venture if we choose. We bring that capability wherever we go. But what else are we bringing? We are bringing the love, the yearning for connection, the just as real intention to draw the circle wider still. We bring a nagging, nagging, sacred, unrelenting vision of the we we long to be. Astronaut Rusty Schweikart said, you look down and see the surface of that globe you've lived on all this time, and you know all those people down there, and they are like you. They are you. They are you. Astronaut Edgar Mitchell said of his experience viewing the Earth from space, you develop an instant global consciousness, a people orientation, an intense dissatisfaction with the state of the world and a compulsion to do something about it. Doing something about it, may it be so. But sometimes we, Unitarian Universalists, have jumped to doing something about it to the neglect of some necessary internal work. We jump to doing something about it without remembering that wherever we go, there we are. We, especially white Unitarian Universalists and most especially older white male heterosexual, cisgender, economically comfortable Unitarian Universalists, and I check all those boxes. We are being invited to explore what it actually means to do something about it. We are beginning to understand how even our best intentions toward hospitality and welcome, grounded in an unexamined culture of white supremacy, still cause harm. We are beginning to hear how even our most heartfelt attempts at inclusion sometimes fall short. The declaration that we'll build the land in our hymn was no doubt meant to reflect our deep commitment to justice. And now we can hear the triumphal, colonialist, environmentally discordant nature of such a statement. We'll build a land? Yeah? Go ahead and try. No one stands alone. We'll stand side by side and draw the circle wide. It was meant to capture unity and support, and now we can hear how it ignored disabilities, that people are present in ways other than standing. Come build a land where sisters and brothers, and come on, people now, smile on your brother. We're most likely meant to be universal statements of unity, and now we can clearly hear how the gender binary does not include us all. We can hear how we are still learning to imagine the we we long to be. 
We can hear, but only if we're listening. Some people turn off, I understand that, with the feeling, oh, God, no, here's a whole new list of don't do this and don't do that, just another bunch of rules. I understand that. Because that's what the fear inside me says to me too. If I can turn off to this, I don't have to risk not getting it right. And I like to get things right. If I'm going to draw a circle, which I try to avoid because I'm notoriously bad at it, even with a compass, but if I'm going to draw a circle then I want to be able to draw a real circle, all points equidistant. Otherwise, is it really a circle? And then I run across this by Leslie Hazelton in a book entitled Agnostic. The beauty of the Zen circle, a circle hand-drawn in a single fluid brushstroke, lies precisely or more precisely, imprecisely, in its imperfection. That is what speaks to us and draws us in. A perfect circle is uninteresting, a closed system containing nothing, while an imperfect one vibrates with warmth. It invites us into the moment of its creation, into that single deep exhalation As the hand arced through the air, the brush over the paper, it is open, human, fallible, an expression that is of soul. Which brings me back to Tolstoy. Maybe he was imagining a happy family as a perfect circle, uninteresting, a closed system containing nothing, all circles alike and imagining an unhappy family as a Zen circle, open, human, fallible, each one different. But it strikes me that any possibility of happiness rests on that open, human, fallible side, trying at all costs to preserve our happiness with a closed circle, protecting our illusion of security is nearly guaranteed to bring unhappiness, as all that one can really capture is fear whereas embracing imperfection, admitting that we have much to learn, encouraging one another to say something from our deepest selves, and then listening to one another. No, that won't ensure happiness. It won't capture happiness, nor does it make us less vulnerable to suffering and challenges. But it does provide the only possibility I know for us to become the all-inclusive we we long to be. That imperfect widening circle, vibrating with warmth, open, human, fallible, an expression of soul. The Zen circle, writes Hazelton, is often incomplete, left slightly open, as though an invitation to everything beyond it. So may it be in our communities.
Draw the circle wide, draw it wider still. Let this be our song, no one need be alone. We'll be side by side. Draw the circle, draw the circle wide. And now, I extend an invitation to come and go with me. <laughs>